0: Hi, this is Michelle Lastly with Balance Shared, a space where I truly believe we are better together. My guest today is Tiffany Chapman. Some of you might know her as Miss TLC. She uses the pronouns she, her, hers. Tiffany is a solo mom, business owner, and formerly early childhood educator. Volunteering has always been her, central to her life from AmeriCorps to Seeds, for early literacy to students talk about race. In fact, she got her start with Family Forward as a volunteer in 2017. In 2018, PDX Parent named her one of the people making Portland a great place to raise kids for her Star Wars inspired yoga class for kids. Tiffany brings multiple perspectives of how Oregon childcare system is failing and as a parent, as well as a formal teacher, a center director, and a business owner, she understands how heavily the economic burden of childcare weighs weigh on both parents and providers. Tiffany is excited to continue breaking down barriers and advocating for affordable, accessible childcare, and teaching kids to be wildly kind and courageous. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me on, Michelle. My
0: pleasure. You are welcome. So, Tiffany and I did a Facebook live on, uh, I think it was May 8th. Mm -hmm. And so we'll have a link for that in the show notes, because we're probably going to continue part of that conversation today in our, in our audible chat. So what do you currently do for work?
1: Yeah. So currently, um, my day job is as a regional organizer for family forward. Um, family forward is a nonprofit, Um, But also what's unique about Family Forward is we have a branch called Family Forward Action, which is a C4, which is associated with our political action committee, the Mother Pack.
0: So you provided me with Family Forward's mission, and I'll disclose I'm actually a volunteer with them as well. It's been so much fun. I knew about Family Forward when they started in 2009, but I was busy doing other things, and it wasn't until this last year I was finally able to start volunteering. And one of the reasons I love the organization is because their mission is to empower mamas and caregivers, and they do it across intersections. So across race, class, ability, age, immigration, Status, gender, and sexuality, all to advocate for bold public policies that value care work, the work that makes all other work possible. So, can we kind of focus in on that for a second? Like, what, do you, what does that mean, the work that makes all other work possible? Maybe for the uninitiated.
1: Yeah, so in our culture, um, um, care work is invisible, right? So, it's something that happens within the confines of a family unit or in the confines of a home um, or you know the children are sequestered away somewhere in a daycare center and the elderly are sequestered away somewhere maybe in a senior living facility so we don't necessarily see all of the work that goes into taking care of our family members Um, but if that work didn't happen nobody would be able to work, right? Because you would, you're would you essentially paying people very low wages to take care of your family members so you're able to work. This is pretty typical across the care industry, um, anywhere from child care providers to in-home support service providers to senior living um, caregivers. Um, and we really want to shine a lens on that as to why why is care work underpaid or no not paid why is it devalued and why is it done primarily by women right so if say your grandma gets sick in your family or you know your auntie has cancer who's going to be the one driving your auntie to all her chemo it's probably going to be one of the other women in the family um So we really wanna see policies that support and elevate the issue of care. Um, And we wanna make sure that these jobs are good paying jobs and that there's quality across the board in all care work. Um, So we really need to invest in policies that make that possible.
0: I'd like to share a personal example. So when I uh, like to work, And one of the reasons I, so in addition to liking work, one of the reasons I've always wanted a job was also to pay back the student loans that I incurred, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a debt obligation that sitting at home, taking care of my kid isn't going to pay for. And also I just literally liked work. (laughs) And so when uh, when my son was three years old, I did secure a part-time job and I was able to uh, go back to work, but then then he needed obviously care while I was gone because he's not going to, he was three years old. It's not like he was going to feed himself, right? I mean, it might, this might sound stu- super, super obvious, but I just want to kind of pare it down. So uh, I think my wage when I started working at that job, I think was a grand total of $15 an hour because it was, it was not, it wasn't quite an entry level per position, but it, you know, I certainly wasn't the director of the organization I was working with. And I was quite happy to make that. It was $20 a week. And we ended up landing on a center that was very close to where I work. And that was tuition for four half days a week was $900 a month. So it's very important to me to build relationships with the people that are caring for my kid. And so I got to chatting with the lead and the assistant. And I found out pretty soon that the lead was making, I believe, fifteen dollars an hour, mm-hmm. and the assistant who did just as much work as the lead was making, I think, ten or eleven dollars an hour.
1: Mm-hmm. That's consistent across the industry in Oregon. The typical childcare worker makes eleven, just over eleven dollars an hour, and people who provide care in their homes, so family care centers, make around five dollars a little over $5 an hour to account for taxes being taken out. Okay.
0: So these individuals, the, the, the gals who took care of my son when he was three, so he's 13 now. So this was 10 years ago. Uh, and the wages haven't really changed that much, which I think is startling. Mm-hmm. Um So they were young and they were in their twenties, but they had education you know, so they had gone through and gone some level of education, whether it was bachelor's degree, maybe working on a master's or some sort of other program to get a certificate. So it's not like they were just unskilled labor. (laughs) So they had definitely. And the other thing that I think was really interesting is they loved these kids. Like I would not, I don't want to be a preschool teacher.
1: Takes a certain type. (laughs)
0: So, so it takes a certain personality, a certain temperament Mm -hmm. to be able to like, have the patience to be able to sit with all these varied personalities, Mm -hmm. some of which are talking all the time. Yes. And who want hugs and who have, you know, they're, they're at the time, you know, preschool, right? So we're talking like, how much is, is this gray matter developed at four years old, three years old?
1: It has, not it will not stop developing till they're 21 and some neurologists are now saying even into their 30s so most of the brain development happens in children under three and then again around adolescence you get something called synaptic pruning that happens and the brain kind of restructures itself again so really um our brains take so long to develop <laughs> and having teachers that know that and know the importance of those first three years is vital to nourishing that growth yeah
0: like what skills would you bring to the table um, when when you're so you know that you understand that uh you were a child centered director and you've worked in child care for how many years prior to volunteering
1: yeah so I started off in 1999 um working volunteering in a preschool. And on and off, I was in the field for 13 years. Um, I kind of did it all. Um, You know, I was an infant teacher. I was a toddler teacher. I was a preschool teacher. I was five-year-old teacher. I directed centers. I directed centers at the same time that I was teaching twice, so it's typical that the center director is also a teacher in the classroom, Um, so you're doing all the licensing paperwork and the certification and then showing, you know, when the fire department comes, you're showing them the shutoff valves and you're doing all that kind of administrative stuff, but then you also have your core group of students that you work with, Um, and that is kind of testament to the budget of a child care center that really, in order to make those businesses viable, you need to do something like that. You really need to have, you know, maximize your workforce because it's such, you know, a low profit margin industry or business to be in.
0: Right. Okay. So, that's a lot of skills that one individual needs to hold. And which is really great. Cause like, I love lots of skills. I love the MacGyver things and it's brings out so much creativity. So while, while honoring that there's some people who just like love to be able to bounce around, I also want to hold space for the demand that that requires to be able to hold these very specific expertise things while your main goal is to care for other people's children. And I'm curious, what kind of skills do you think are really, really important to ha- hold a really great um, tender educational environment for like for preschoolers? We'll just mm-hmm. stick with preschoolers for now.
1: That's really interesting that you use the word tender. I love that you use that um, There is a study, a child development study commissioned by Harvard University, which is, it's called um, the Harvard Grant Study. And it is the biggest longitudinal study of child development in history. Um, It followed men from Harvard, graduates from Harvard from the 1930s through to the end of their lives. um, And to determine what kind of parenting style precipitated the most successful lives and they determined that warm engaged parenting contributed most so people who are most successful had that kind of parenting growing up um, so really what we are asking preschool teachers and childcare providers to do um, is provide a warm environment um, that is the most important thing you can do Um, yes, ABCs, yes, one, two, threes, yes, learning colors and shapes and manners and social norms and conflict management skills and conflict resolution with peers and all these other things. But really, the number one factor in determining a child's success is the warmth of their caregivers growing up. Yeah, so that was really interesting that you used that word. Um, yeah, that's, this is a skilled industry. So what people don't realize is that um, early childhood educators, they do need to get educated in order to work in classrooms. Um, here in Oregon, you have to take a few classes to even be in the classroom. Um, in California, where I was licensed, you had to take 12 college units. Um, in order to work in a classroom. So every state has different criteria, um, but they all require ongoing training. So these teachers are working eight hours a day and then they're going to night classes um, from six. And they're nine. getting paid $15 an hour. Or yeah. Months. And I took the administrative classes when I was six months pregnant. <laughs> so I was also working eight hours a day and then going to the administrative classes at night when I was pregnant with my daughter so. Um, it's a lot of work and then working with kids as you know as a parent can be very um, energetically consuming right so we often put our needs on the back burner or really always put our needs on the back burner um, so that our students needs can be met right so it's not only physically demanding standing up, sitting down, chasing after kids, (laughs) but it's mentally and it can be very emotionally demanding, um, right? If you have any kiddos that require, have really big feelings, um, you can really spend your whole day helping that one child learn how to manage their feelings and calm down. And then it radiates to the other kids and the other kids feel it and start having big feelings. Um, So it's really It's really a skill and it's an art form. And I don't think people realize um, how much goes into it. Because it's invisible. It's invisible and it's seen as women's work, right? It's seen as something we are, quote unquote, naturally supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, So because of that fact, it it is seen as not important. It's seen as just, oh, the thing we're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, when in fact, the women working in care fields are highly skilled. Um, people working in in home support receive training on, you know, how to administer medication, um, what to do if your if your client has a stroke. Like we we have all these things that we're trained in, but that is not seen because of the stigma attached with being a woman and a caregiver.
0: So I want to pivot on one point a little bit like so on when you think about an individual family's income mm-hmm. so I think the average Oregon Oregon family I was going to say Oregonian <laughs> Uh, I think the average Oregon family makes around $53,000 a year. Mm -hmm. And when you think about like a budget, right, your normal budget, right, the average family spends about 12% of their budget on food.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And so then you start paring that down. And some people guide that you shouldn't spend more than say, I don't remember what the number is, I'm just going to say 5% of your income on care. So, cause like you, you're going to spend 10% about on your auto, you're going to spend 30% on all of your housing things, So that's whatever. Mm-hmm. So when you, when you split out your budget and then if you're making that $53,000 a year, and if you attach the 5% to the value that you can afford to pay for care, that's not very much. I'm um, I'm going to pull up my calculator so I can do a little bit of math.
1: Yeah, and FYI, the federal recommended guidelines for the amount that a household should be paying on childcare is seven percent. So no more 7%, than seven so percent. Let's do seven percent of the household income. Should go so through. that would be
0: three thousand seven hundred ten dollars for a year.
1: Right. So right now, the typical um, tuition for preschool is around twelve thousand dollars a year, which is more than in-state college tuition at eleven thousand. So. Um, What we're seeing is that parents are paying a disproportionately high amount of their income early, so zero to five, and then it kind of tapers off and goes down. And then in college, the college years, it goes up again, right? So Mm -hmm. maybe in the 50s and 60s and 70s, we kind of had a flat line at the beginning because mothers Mm -hmm. were staying home. They weren't in the workforce. Um, It was, you know, kind of leave it to beaver style family, Um, And then now, with more women entering the workforce, we have that super high expense at the beginning, um, the first five years of care. So we actually had another volunteer, an action team member, do the math. And she figured that she has spent about $100,000 putting both of her children through zero to five care. So that's $100,000 less going into her retirement um, or any other of the Ways a house, food. yeah,
0: food. <laughs> Any other way to spend cleaning, a yeah. car. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh okay. So I wanna pause for a second, but let's re- recap a couple numbers. And I, I hope those of you listening can hear these numbers for the story that um that they're telling. So the average Oregon family makes fifty-three thousand dollars per year. The recommended guideline for care to like budget on your budget is 3000 around based on that number would be around $3,700. The average child care worker makes between 11 and $15 an hour, mm-hmm. which equates to a wage of about somewhere between 20 and $30,000 a year,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which is less than the average and still exceeds the care budget.
1: Correct. So we are saying this is a case of um, market failure, essentially, right? Because the numbers don't pencil out and the demand supply does not meet the demand. Yeah.
0: So there's plenty. Yeah. So that's another issue altogether, right? Yes. So not just the cost, but so now we have all these families who want to go to work Mm -hmm. And they will So then they're going well, to need because their of care. the
1: cost of running a childcare business. Because it's passed on, the cost is passed on to parents. We have a shortage of childcare because parents can't afford to subsidize a system this big. Workers can't afford to subsidize a system this big on low wages, and businesses have super razor thin profit margins. Right, so that's a broken system. Yes.
0: Okay. Let's take a break. And when we get back, let's dive into that. So just hold that brokenness in your mind and heart for a moment. Welcome back. So we left on kind of a grim note, and I hope that we painted the picture pretty well about the really challenging choices everybody in that system makes. The directors having to run on the slim margin and having to make these awful choices to pay their workers a low wage because of the slim profit margin that they're running. The families and the choices that we make and where we put our kids and then, you know, the kids operating in and the teachers like there's and 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 I like to take a look at uh, Maslow's hierarchy for mm-hmm. a good reference of what we need to be able to succeed. And then going back to this Harvard study, right, mm-hmm. warm and tender care to be able to give us a great foundation to lead our best lives possible. Absolutely. So what the heck can we do about this?
1: Yeah. So, um, unfortunately with the uh, coronavirus crisis that we found ourselves in, the problem of childcare sh- shortage has been exacerbated by this crisis, right? So the NAEYC, which is the National Association for the Education of Young Children, has predicted that 50% of childcare centers across the nation will not survive this pandemic. In other words, they will have closed permanently because they couldn't meet their operating costs for the durations of the school closures, Um, right? Because if parents aren't paying a tuition, there's no operating budget because it's all all these centers are solely based on parents subsidizing them. Um, So with schools closed, um, we really need to advocate for some quick investment into this infrastructure, which is what we call it at family forward action, right? It is social infrastructure. Um, It's not welfare for poor people. It's not just for, you know, those people it's for everybody. Um, Child care is a necessity, not a luxury. So all American families should be able to get that need met. Um, So with the HEROES Act that is being voted on today, possibly in the early June, it looks like, um, we are advocating for $100 billion dedicated funding for child care. Um, so what you can do now, if you want to help save the child care infrastructure that we currently have, is you can contact your members of Congress and ask for this $100 billion. Um, we have some easy ways for you to do that. You can text the word CARE, C-A-R-E, to 747-464. Um, And then you'll be automatically connected with your member of Congress and you can ask for that $100 billion to be included in the HEROES Act.
0: Very specifically, it's the House of Representatives
1: member. Correct. Um, And then there's also a phone number you can call, which is 1-888-523-8975. So keep calling, keep advocating um, as you alluded to, that's it's, the vote is starting in the house, so it's possible that it will not make it out of the house um, and then we'll have to scrap and start over and, um, but we still want that funding to be in there.
0: So what would that hundred million or hundred billion dollars do?
1: So what that would do is preserve existing childcare care infrastructure. Um, so for example, in Oregon, uh, in the last package in cares in the cares act we received 38 million dollars eight million of that went to a grant program that child care centers could apply for um, to keep their operating costs going right because parents aren't paying tuition so they still need to pay their rent they still need to pay their utilities they still need to pay their teachers um, so that's a non-competitive grant program that actually application process just closed for on the 11th. So from the May 1st to May 11th they had that open. Um, unfortunately, our kind of back of the napkin um, estimate for how much we need to subsidize organ just organ child care is 60 to 70 million dollars. So we've got essentially got 8 million going out to these centers when really we need much more than that um, in order to keep. Almost 10 times as much. Exactly. Um, and the reason is that we don't want those centers to close is because they have a trained workforce. So if those people of uh, workers are off the payroll, there's the potential that they'll leave the field entirely um, for other work. So we need to maintain and retain the workforce. The facilities, um, for example, if you're a licensed uh, child care center, you need 35 square uh, feet of space per child. So it's not like you can just go to any building and open a child care. There's buildings that have been designated and licensed for child care facilities. We need those those buildings to stay open. We need their water bills and their gas bills and their mortgages or rent to be paid. Um, And we need That we need the kids that are currently being served by those places to continue to be able to be served.
0: Have a place to go back to when we're out of quarantine. Yeah. And then, I mean, this doesn't even take into consideration how things are going to shift as we open back up. Like I saw some examples of in China, the class sizes have been reduced from 20 to six, which is great, Mm -hmm. but that takes more space, more teachers, just more cost.
1: Right, it lowers, um, even further decreases your profit margin, right? So right now Mm -hmm. um, centers are limited to stable groups of 10 per classroom. Um, Whereas before the ratio for three-year-olds was one to 12. So you're losing spots, you're losing income um, because of this pandemic. So it's gonna squeeze the industry even more.
0: Right. So when the market is broken, and it can't sustain itself, and it's something that we need, what are some other things that we should do as a collective?
1: Yeah, so we, we need to share stories. Um, We really need people to see that this is a problem that's going to impact all of society, not just people with kids, right? Because if Parents can't go back to work. That's a whole sector of the economy of people who aren't paying taxes. Um, So you really need to share your story about how hard it is for you to find childcare, what you went through. um, You know what are what's going on now? That maybe your your child's childcare center is closed. How are you? you know, juggling work and watching your children. I've talked to many parents who, who are losing hours at their work because it's impossible. You can't be your child's teacher and work your full-time 40 hour job at the same time. It's just not, it's not possible. So we are asking parents to make impossible to, to live impossible lives essentially right now. Um, so legislators really need to hear that. You really need to, you know, advocate for your family. Um, and we need universal childcare. Quebec uh, and Canada has had universal childcare since 1996. They found that their program pays for itself in terms of income tax from working parents. Um, and they have the highest maternal uh, participation rate in the workforce in the world at around 86% of Wait, women. So, hold on a second. Yeah, (laughs) there's other
0: countries that are other provinces, other places in the world that are already modeling something that we could latch on to. So like, I think one aspect of our capitalistic ideology is that we want to see the direct payment. And we forget that the payments can be diversified, right? And so sharing this cost, like you were saying, that it's paying for itself because of the 82% of women who are empowered to work because there is no barrier to their care. Mm -hmm. And so then the cost is coming from their payroll taxes.
1: It's coming from their payroll taxes and less is going in um, to um, social service programs.
0: Right. Right. so it's a part is we need to shift our thinking and and come together and and I believe we need to come together and value, like state really clearly to our legislatures, to each other, to our neighbors, to our family members that we want to be able to go to work, mm-hmm. and this is a barrier and one way that we can do this like because we value having that tender care for our kiddos
1: right. and it really is a matter of priorities. If you look at, the $2 trillion that was uh, authorized under the CARES Act. And you look at how much went to education. Um, there was $43.7 billion adv- uh, allocated to education. Um, 3.5 billion of that went to childcare through the child okay. care Block Development Fund. But wait, listen to this. Large corporations got 500 billion. So 500 billion versus 3.5 billion. So we have the money. It's not a matter of not having the money. It's a matter of our priorities, who's in office, right? Who's making the decisions. Um, and we really want people to see that, that it's not it's not because we can't do it. It's because we, we don't make that a priority. It's because we won't do it because of who's in office, Because of who has power in our society right we're coming up against that white supremacist capitalist patriarchy with this issue right um it's intangible cares something that's you don't see any like material value to necessarily um but it has amazing it's just it's priceless for the individual right The care of my child, being in good care, that's priceless for my family. But when you have folks that are in power that are seeing just numbers, it's hard. It's kind of hard to get that point across.
0: Or measuring success
1: in widgets. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Uh, Okay. So that actually is a great pivot to other things that we can do to help change and co-create the world that. At least I know you and I want to live in. (laughs) Right. Uh, So in addition to, you know, texting and calling our senators about the, uh, what was the name of the act? The
1: The HEROES Act, which is going to be the next uh, coronavirus stimulus package.
0: Okay. So they can uh, text or call, and we'll have links to that and a script in the show notes. So there's like some talking point guidelines. So when you make your call, you know what to say. So personally, I firmly believe that if we are going to make any changes, we need to number one, share our stories. And we'll have a link to that as well in the show notes. So you can share your story direct through Family Forward and their amazing staff will help facilitate that and make sure that those stories go to who needs to hear them. But the other thing that I think is really important is that we get educated on the issues and we're electing people who represent our interests and helping to diversify who is there. So like, Oh gosh, I'm going to fail on statistics, but I'm going to take a look at my kid's school, for example. Mm-hmm. So there uh, is about, and Mrs. Johnson, principal Johnson, please don't slaughter me for the the the, the slaughtering of the uh, statistics. I'm going <laughs> to pull out about 30 to 40% of the kids are Hispanic. About 10% I think were uh African and then another five or so percent were um, African American and then just under 50 percent of the kids that go to Levi's school are white and then there's a mix roughly half of boys and girls. So if you just take that, you know he goes to a private Catholic school so it's a different situation than you know even all of Portland or whatever. but if you take that little mix up, forty percent Hispanic say 10 to 15% black and whatever, maybe 45% white. Does that statistic resemble what's in office? 50-50 men and women?
1: Not in nationally. Um, In Oregon, we are pretty woman heavy. Um, So that's something exciting about our state, but we are not 50-50 as far as color diversity. Right. Um, so we definitely need more, um, people of color and elected office here, um, in Oregon and nationally.
0: Yeah. To just represent different viewpoints.
1: Yeah. We, I mean, ideally this is a representative democracy, right? So mm-hmm. we will have people from all walks of life, um, representing us. Uh, that is not how it has worked out, but, um, I believe that we are kind of at a pivotal point in our history where we can really push um, folks into office who may not necessarily have run in the past and that is something that we like to do at Family Forward Action, right? So part of our goal is to provide political education for our activists um, and support with childcare, Um, at our meetings so that we can get more moms and caregivers involved in the political process and hopefully eventually either run for a board or some kind of elected office um, or other position of power where they may not have had that avenue to do uh, participate in civics before. Awesome.
0: And if that is any of you who are listening, uh, I'm going to drop a link to the Spaces for Family Forward Action, and also another organization called Emerge Oregon that does some really great training for women in politics. Uh, Okay, I feel like we've completely run out of our committed time to each other. So what is one inspiring thing we can share with our audience today as we try to co-create the future we want?
1: Ooh, that's a good one. Um, One inspiring thing. Well, I just, want, I just want people to realize that how close we were to having universal child care at one point. So we actually almost had it in 1971 um, with the Comprehensive Child Development Act that was passed by Congress, but Nixon vetoed it. Um, so, you know, Pat Buchanan was a co-sponsor. And then we had some um, kind of, well, I think it was Walter Mondale. Sorry. Maybe we might, might need to edit this and fact check, but one of, them, one of them was a good guy. One of them was a bad guy, right? So one of them convinced Nixon to veto it because of the communist scare. Um, Nixon mm. kind of was uh, equating a universal child care program here in uh, America to what Russia, what he called kind of government nurseries in Russia. Um, so he vetoed it, but we really did almost have it. Um, and we can, again, it's been almost 50 years, but we can have choice. We can have, you know, different types of care providers. Um, it doesn't have to be all one kind of center. It doesn't have to be all one language. Um, we can do it. We almost did it. And then also in World War II, we did do it right. We had the Lanham Act that established childcare centers for mothers working um, in wartime factories. And that was care that was six days a week. And the care providers would also send home hot meals to moms at the end of their shift so the parents didn't have to cook. <laughs> so that I want I want to inspire that we do have some hope. It's gonna take a lot of work. Um but I think with your help, we can really build momentum. With everyone's help, you know, reaching out, sharing their stories, contacting um, their representatives, we can really push uh, push this issue. And get
0: awesome. Yeah. Child care for everybody. That's right. Thank you, Tiffany, so much for joining me today. I'm glad that we were able to chat about this.
1: Thank you for having me. You're
0: welcome. Before we hop off, I wanted to clarify a few things. Family Forward is one part nonprofit, which focuses on education, one part action, which works to change the laws, and Family Forward works with their sister organization, the Mother Pack. I personally love the Mother Pack's care-centered endorsements that come out in November for general and uh, other elections. We also need to clear up some numbers. The average annual infant care cost is $13,518, where the average annual in-state college tuition is slightly more at $16,823. It costs the same to put a baby in care as it does to put an 18-year-old through college. I also wanted to take a moment and remind you, vote. Voting matters. Make sure you're registered with your local place. And lastly, check the show notes for more, including links for a second round of child care provider grants in Oregon and a place to tell your care story. Balance Shared is produced and edited by me, Michelle Asley. The instrumental music, Grass, by Silent Partner is from the YouTube Audio Library. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, leave a review, especially on Apple Podcasts. If you've loved the messages of co-creating a better future and digging into ourselves, maybe you'd like to become a supporter. Email hello at michellelassley.com to get your sponsorship guide. That's all for today. Thank you for listening to our podcast. This is Michelle Lasley with Balance Shared, a space where I truly believe we are better together.